Welcome to episode two of the African Photography Safaris podcast with myself, Alan Hewitt and Khalil Zaib. Episode one, if you haven't already heard it, is available via the AfricanPhotographySafaris.com website and it's also available via the normal providers such as Spotify, Apple, Amazon Music, Audible and Google. Also on the website is a number of resources to include things like photographs and videos, what we're actually talking about during the podcast. So, Khalil, anything which has attracted your attention in the world of photography and safari news since our last episode? Yeah, how about this? There are actually two distinct species of warthog. I had absolutely no idea about that, uh, and I found an Africa Geographic article on warthogs. As we know, they're fascinating and hilarious creatures, but what I didn't realise was that there's a common warthog and a desert warthog. They look very similar, although there are a few differences which I'll come back to in a minute. So if you've seen a warthog, they're essentially silly, ugly pigs with crazy tusks. The tusks are actually canine teeth that keep growing as the animal gets older, and they use them for fighting, defending themselves, and for digging, and so on. Um, the lovely warts on their face, which they're named after, are thickened skin, and are probably for defensive use. Um, mix all this with wrinkly, hairy skin, and you've got a permanent member of what's called the Ugly Five Club. If you haven't come across the Ugly Five, it's an extension of the term Big Five, which you probably have heard of, and that's an old hunting term for the top prizes of elephant, lion, cape buffalo, leopard and rhino. Thankfully, these days we only refer to shooting them with a camera rather than a gun. Um, so the Ugly Five are warthog, marabou stork, hyena, wildebeest and vulture and only then mothers could love them, to be honest. I'm afraid the warthog also lends itself to a certain amount of ridicule as it's got the IQ of a bar of soap. The Swahili name for warthog is actually Pumba, which literally means stupid. Yeah, I can't help but feel that's a bit of an unfortunate anthropomorphism going on, demonising species like the Lion King did with hyenas. Um, species like marabou stork, hyena, vultures are so special because of the scavenger rule and wildebeest with the, with the seed dispersal through the migration. Uh, perhaps it's a future subject for the podcast. To be fair, they are stupid, though. They are. Very, but, very yeah, stupid. They've got some <laughs> endearing features. You know, one of them is that when they run away, um, their skinny tails have a tuft on the end that goes bolt upright like an antenna. So when they're running through the grass, uh, this little antenna uh, is above the grass, so you can actually see where they're running. And not only not only can we see them, um, it's so that they can actually follow each other, which is actually quite clever. Um, oh, and the hoglets are absolutely ridiculously cute. Uh, no, they're not actually called hoglets, but uh, and they're called piglets, but hoglet sounds much better. The collective term is a sounder of warthogs as well, which is quite coincidental. Just being technical on me. Okay, <laughs> on to the different species. Uh, so the desert walk warthog doesn't have any incisor teeth, which is a lot easier to notice when you actually see a skull, uh, to be honest. Uh, so it's harder in the wild to actually see that. It also has bent back ear tips, hooked facial warts and a larger snout. As far as ID in the field goes, they're very similar and the differences aren't completely obvious, so good luck with that. They tend to have different ranges though, with the desert species being limited to the Horn of Africa. That's the bit of Africa at the upper right, which sticks out with Kenya, Somalia and Ethiopia. The common warthog has a much wider range, which covers a good part of sub-Saharan Africa. Uh, I wondered whether either of us had ever seen a desert warthog in the various parts of Africa we'd been to, because they're also in the central part of Kenya, but not in the Maasai Mara, where we spend most of our time, so probably not. Until the early 2000s, the general consensus about desert warthogs was that they'd gone extinct in South Africa, and the ones in the Horn of Africa were actually a variant of common warthogs. But actually now science has caught up and the horn hogs can bask in their knowledge that they now have their own species. 
Yeah, it's fascinating, really. I, I always think warthogs can be difficult to photograph. Um, they're very fast. Um, they can actually outrun a lioness. Um, and on foot, a lot of care is needed, especially around their burrows. Um, you don't really want to be standing in front of one if it, <laughs> if it comes charging out at you yeah. with their tusks. Um, they're quite fearsome. You can often tell if a hole is actually occupied by a warthog by looking for cobwebs around the opening. That said, you often have to get quite close to be able to see those uh, cobwebs to start with. That's not something I'll be doing anytime soon. So, Alan, have you noticed anything in the press that's uh, of particular interest? Yeah, absolutely. Um, Interestingly, I've read some recent articles in the press and also on various social media posts about increasing numbers of electric safari vehicles being used on safaris, Mm. being charged by solar power back at camps and lodges and things. Now, when I was working in South Africa last year, we were talking about these um, electric vehicles and we actually did see one. And one of the guides I was working with, an excellent uh, guide called Murray, he, all, he seemed to feel that animals seemed a little bit more uneasy around the electric vehicles, and maybe it's because they're too quiet. And it was actually consistent with one of the articles that I read, and it suggested that elephants were particularly uneasy. And really, it's the last animal you want to give a fright and get <coughs> off to. Um, interestingly, a recent Facebook video um, from South Africa caught my eye, where a, a lion was mating with a female very, very close to a track. And... The male had a very unusual, re- aggressive reaction towards a vehicle. It sort of turned around and, and almost kind of ran uh, at the source of, of, of the annoyance, which turned out to be a vehicle. Now, the vehicle did appear to arrive very suddenly on scene. And that said, we don't know what really happened immediately before the video starts. But interestingly, I did notice it was an electrical vehicle running very quietly. And I wonder if the lion just didn't hear it approaching and it got a little bit of a fright when it suddenly sort of appeared. So I'm personally, I'm very, I'm very interested to see how this um, evolves. That's interesting, isn't it? Because um, all our experiences are with diesel-powered uh, vehicles and they have a distinct sort of clattery diesel sound. So it kind of announces to the wildlife that it's that we're coming. Uh, and they're so used to us being around that they just don't really bother. But I guess yeah. an electric vehicle would be a bit of a surprise. Yeah, they, do, they, do, they, they know that they, they can probably pick up on the engine. They know they're used to vehicles. They're slightly habituated to it. And they know that that noise isn't you know necessarily a threat and they seem quite happy with it, as we know. So what we thought we'd do is have a regular feature, which is our experiences in Africa and anything that's that's memorable for us from our trips to Africa. Alan, have you got one? Yes. Uh, let's wind the clock back uh, quite a few years to 2017. And I was actually working in a private reserve called Klesiri, which is one reserve which is part of the greater Kruger in um, north northeast South Africa. Um, I was working with some students and we were driving around seeing what uh, wildlife was available to, to see and to photograph as we do. And we got news of a leopard um, via one of the other uh, guides. Now it transpired that this wasn't just a leopard, which is obviously amazing to see at any time, but it was a leopard in a tree, which is even better not just a leopard in a tree, but a leopard in a tree with prey. And it wasn't just any prey, it was quite unusual. It was a leopard in a tree with a porcupine that it had hunted. Now, porcupine is quite an unusual prey item. Um, 
if you don't know what a porcupine is or what it looks like it's a large very large rodent and it's covered in very very sharp spines or quills contrary to popular belief porcupines don't shoot or fire these spines or quills at other animals but when they're under threat they present the spines as a shield towards the threat it's very very dangerous prey for a predator so it's quite unusual to see an animal like a leopard to have hunted a porcupine because basically that they are a dangerous animal to hunt these quills can cause significant damage infection uh, especially to, to leopards and lions so we approach the tree with a lot of care not just because it's a predator feeding but also you know our guide Cheda was conscious of the possibility that a leopard fleeing with a porcupine jumping down a tree is fraught with risk to the leopard because of these you know these quills and, and spines we stood off for a little while until the leopard accepted our presence and we managed to get a little bit closer to get some photographs and you can see one of the photographs that i took on the african photographysafaris.com website with the episode notes and what i would like to add to this is i have to say it was really really good ethical guiding by Cheda. we approached the leopard it, it sort of snarled at us from a distance it wasn't happy with us so we just stopped for a couple of minutes and then once it was um, happy with our presence we moved a little bit further on unfortunately within about five minutes another vehicle did arrive um, absolutely packed with people and with all the subtlety of a, um, a jumbo jet arriving and this did unsettle the, the the leopard quite a bit but you know when we were there for that time beforehand it, it was a good memorable moment just to actually see a, a leopard in a tree with such an unusual prey item can you imagine carrying a porcupine in your mouth i mean yeah, yeah. Well, it was so unusual, you know, all the animals and you had to pick a spiny like that. <laughs> I was actually trying to continue the conversation. <laughs> oh, sorry, spiny <laughs> <laughs> Right, we might have to scrap that. Yeah, really. Possibly, yeah. So it is now time for a book review and I'm going to hand over to Khalil who's going to talk about the Kingdon Field Guide to African Mammals. Yeah, can you hear this? That's a lovely sound. You can't smell that, but that's a book, a real book. How about this? Yeah, not the same, is it, really? Well, the first thing is obviously rifling through pages of one of my favourite animal reference books. And the random tapping is an app of the same. Definitely not as evocative, but in a way more useful. But I'll, I'll come back to that. So the book I'm talking about, it's the Kingdon Field Guide to African Mammals by Jonathan Kingdon. And that's a King Don with an N, not King Dom, which is what my laptop always autocorrects it to, which is incredibly annoying. Uh, just to be aware of that N on the end, if you're going to Google it, you could think of it like a fella called Don with a crown on, King Don. I really love this book. It's a really well-respected trove of information with loads of detail on the animals and their behaviours. Uh, I think it was first published about 1997, but it's been reprinted and updated loads of times since. Actually, I've got three versions. I bought the physical book years and years ago, and then the Kindle version because it doesn't weigh anything. And then finally the app, which also doesn't weigh anything, but adds a super quick way of searching for the animals in the field. Searching through the the um, Kindle version isn't actually very good. Uh, it's the, the app version is so much easier. 
I kind of miss the tactile feeling of the book though, uh, which is great to have the app for the safaris because the weight allowance is always a factor when you're flying in on small aircraft. I used to take the physical book and various others for reference, but I'm all digital now. I could bring a whole extra camera body for the same weight as those books. So the guide's arranged into sections covering all the different taxonomic orders of mammals like primates, bats, carnivores and so on, and then it breaks them down into families with some preamble about the family and then finally into the species accounts. You can dive into each species account directly, but I usually like to get a bit of family background first. Like hyenas, for example. Are they dogs? No. Not cats either, although closer to cats. They're actually descended from civet-like creatures. Don't know what a civet is? Well, you'll have to look it up in the Kingdom Field Guide to African Mammals. I think my favourite part of each species account is the behaviour section. So for example, female spotted hyenas are bigger than males and they dominate the clan. They actually have higher levels of testosterone than the males and get this, can even have body parts that mimic male genitalia. Can I say chicks with <laughs> here? <laughs> Well, I've said it now. Um, it's worth mentioning that the illustrations in the book are great too. They're clear and detailed, and he often shows skeletons or skull drawings if they add to the visual descriptions. Very good, very useful. Overall, it's one of the key texts that Alan and I have both used for a very long time, and I'd highly recommend it. I might be tempted to get a fourth version of the book, actually, because there's a second edition, which is more recent than the one I've got in print. We'll put a link on the podcast section of the website if you'd like to buy one. Yeah, what, what gets me, I've got a copy of this as well, and what gets me is just the, the lovely quality of the illustrations. It's yeah. a fantastic book to, to read through. Um, it's one of those things that you can actually sit and read and take a lot of it in. Yeah. Or you can just thumb through, you know, now and again when you need to, when, when the opportunity arises. It's, it's a fantastic book. Yeah, yeah, totally agree. Stuart has been in touch via our Facebook page and Stuart asks, how safe is it on Safari? He adds, I've seen video footage from your mobile phones on social media and it amazes me how close you are to animals like lions and leopards. So thank you very much, Stuart. It's a very good question and we've got quite a detailed answer. So much so, we decided to make this our main episode topic, safety on Safari. You know, Safari's how safe. Quick answer, very, very safe, as long as we follow a few simple rules. Now, as you can see, we do get close to animals, sometimes very close. Often, when animals get very close, they can be too close to photograph, so I often just do a little bit of video on my phone, um, and we'll add some videos on to the AfricanPhotographySafaris.com website podcast resource page so you can have a look. We do use vehicles with large oversized windows, sometimes open-sided, and sometimes, like in South Africa, not only are the vehicles open-sided, but they don't have a roof either. And at face value, yeah, people do look quite sort of vulnerable in these vehicles. But we have to look at it from an animal's point of view rather than a human point of view. Animals, particularly predators, see a vehicle as one large object. They don't recognise human occupants as being a potential prey item. It's not that they're familiar with people, but they're actually familiar with vehicles. You know, remember the conservancies are not just wildlife parks, they're areas where people live and they work. Maasai graze their cattle, there are villages, there are small towns, schools, communities, and all of these things attract vehicle movements which are not just safari tourists. When we're very close, as we see in the videos linked to the podcast on the website, we have to remain very quiet and still. 
If movement was to result in you becoming discernible as a human form rather than just part of a larger entity like the vehicle, then animals are suddenly faced with their greatest threat. And in cases like this, we're absolutely in their circle of fear. We're in their fight zone rather than their flight zone. So there's no standing up and there's certainly no dangling limbs outside of vehicles. It's also important to be able to read an animal's behaviour. Animals like buffalo, hippo, elephants, rhino are much more of a potential threat than lions and leopards. But behaviourally, you know, they have signs. You know, an elephant in must, for example, shaking its head quite quickly when it's moving towards you with secretions from the temporal gland. You can see this happening and you just avoid them. You give them plenty of space and keep out of the way. Lone male buffaloes, often known as a dagger boy or an old bachelor herd, just keep your distance and show them the respect that they deserve and, you know, you will be fine. I think it's also worth knowing that um, if you just follow the guides, they always know what the correct behavior is around the animals. And as long as you do what they say, so it might be keeping quiet if a, a, an elephant's coming past or um, just keeping distance, uh, whatever the guides say, just follow that because they're so used to being in that moment with the animals that it never feels like you're in peril. It's It's absolutely fine yeah absolutely you know it's it's always best to to try and predict an animal's movement and then stop a little distance away turn the engine off on the vehicle just to keep the animal at ease and if the animal is relaxed it will behave naturally we always make sure it has room and the path isn't blocked and as you can see by the videos the animals often just walk straight past us when we've had lions right up to the vehicle just calmly walking then that's a sign that we haven't troubled the animal it hasn't cared we've acted respectfully and we're not a threat yeah i just remember that elephant with the baby that came past us on the road in i think it was Mara triangle. Mara triangle yeah Mara right, triangle yeah. that's right um and the little baby just kind of fell over and uh i think us in the back we were just thinking oh that's a little bit uh, a little bit tasty but actually um the whole experience was just lovely the the mother was just uh concerned for a little calf and she picked it up out of the ditch that it had fallen in and went past with absolutely no bother at all i think the, these animals are so big and it's kind of i guess it's kind of tempting to think well you know oh you know they're so big they could i don't know turn the vehicle over or something they're just not they're so gentle and you just be respectful around them and they just don't bother you whatsoever. Yeah, I think you're right. I mean, an elephant could, without a doubt, turn a safari vehicle over onto its side or worse, onto its roof. But, you know, th those elephants came past then and you know, other than the sort of natural um, protecting the young, which elephants always do, they, they were just so at ease with us. And, you know, it was a yeah. marvellous experience. And I think I'm pretty yes. sure we have got a little bit of video footage that we can I put actually, on, yeah. on, on onto the website for that. And that'll, that'll be pretty cool. Yeah, I'll do that. Um, feeding animals is a subject which often comes up. And simply, it's an absolute no. We don't want animals to start associating vehicles with a food source, as that can only end badly. And also around the camp, you know, you don't want to attract vermin, you don't want to attract predators, and the last thing you want is uh, pesky baboons running around the camp causing chaos. <laughs> no, definitely not. 
Um, depending on where you are and which camp you're in, there'll be different rules, um, but some of them are essentially the same. You'll always be aware of what these rules are. Uh, if you just listen to the camp staff, you'll usually get a briefing about what you can and shouldn't do. Um, so, for example, it might be that you're absolutely fine to wander around the camp in daylight, but not at night. That's normal. Um, it's usual for a camp to have guards, also known as Ascari. These guys will escort you around the camp at night safely and protect you from animals roaming around. And as Alan mentioned about vehicles, you're completely safe when you're in your tent because the the animals just they don't they don't care about these what they see as solid structures. They don't see a human outline. They don't see you as human. I mean, presumably they can smell you, but they're just not bothered. They 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 never come into the tents, they never try and get in. It's just not something that happens. The key point is that it's absolutely safe as long as we follow a few rules, most of which are common sense. Working with experienced guides not only helps you see and photograph more wildlife, but it helps to keep you safe too. Uh, Fieldcraft is absolutely king when it comes to safety. So another question to the podcast comes from Maria who asks us, my husband wants to go on a photography safari, but I'm not as keen on photography. Would I be welcome on a trip? Absolutely 100% of course you would. We do have this uh, where a husband or wife is not really as obsessive as the other about the photography, but in the past they've always thoroughly enjoyed seeing the wildlife and experiencing the natural history and culture. I once said to the wife of a photographer that they would enjoy seeing everything, but you know, if they felt it was too much, those early mornings, uh, too, too intense, they didn't have to feel obliged to come out on every safari drive that we did. It would be absolutely fine if they'd rather just chill in the sun back at camp. You know, that would absolutely be fine. Um, I think it took the first 15 minutes after we landed to realise what she was seeing was so incredible. Um, and she never actually missed a drive, thoroughly enjoyed every minute just using a little sort of point-and-shoot camera and even a phone to, to record what she was seeing and also um, what was going on around her and the, the sort of banter in the vehicle. And she had an absolutely wonderful time and she did not miss a single game drive. So that's all for now, but in our next podcast, we'll be breaking down one of the most difficult photography safari questions, what equipment do we bring? We'll be talking about the obvious and the not so obvious and some of the problems you may encounter when packing and traveling with your photography gear. It's a bit of a perennial thing. Yeah, it's it's a, always a bit of a nightmare, even after all the trips that we've done to Kenya, South Africa. Um, I always start packing my camera bag with great sort of ideas. I'm going to take this, I'm going to take that. And then the reality sort of kicks in. And, you know, what do you leave behind? What do you not need? And there's quite a few things that perhaps people don't think about. So we'll, we'll, we'll get to the bottom of that. And hopefully if you're coming on a safari with us, then that might help you decide what you do need and probably what you don't need. Yeah, I'm, I'm the same. There's always a compromise. I think that's the thing. You think, uh, I'll bring this, that and the other, but there's always something that you either can't or shouldn't. And then there's a thing that you will bring that you won't use. But we'll, we'll try and cover as much of that as possible next time. Yeah. So questions to the African Photography Safaris podcast are always welcome. And you can submit these via our website, our social media and our email. And of course, if you are interested in coming to Africa with us to take some fantastic photographs of some fantastic wildlife, please do get in touch. Thank you very much. Thank you. And ta-ta. Ta-ta.